He had been to uh, the people uh, at Philippi and he had experienced conflict, he had experienced persecution, but in spite of that, he was coming to these people here, the Thessalonians, with boldness. And it was love that was, was actually compelling him to share the gospel with them. And in verse 13, it says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And uh, I, I think it's so key here to understand how important it is that we actually recognize that the words in the Bible are actually the words of God and that we do actually welcome them as such. We receive them with awe. This is God speaking to me today. Um, We hold his word in high esteem and we value it. And because it's precious to us, We hide it in our hearts. We meditate upon it. We love it. And uh, so it it begins to dwell, actually live, and take up residence inside of us. So instead of the, the, the challenges that we face, the obstacles that come our way, being the thing that's constantly upon our minds and causing anxiety and worry and fear, we've got the Word of God in our thoughts And we're thinking about, well, what does God say about this situation? And we begin to speak to the situation. And we say, no, I'm not accepting you, devil. This is what God says about my life and about this situation. I'm going to believe his word. And I'm going to act like it's true. And when we do, God begins to work. The word of God works effectively in you who believe. He he works effectively. Um, To work here, this word means to be operative, to be at work, to put forth power. So when we welcome God's word into our lives, we receive it, we esteem it, we honor it, we give the word of God the place we would if Jesus were present. You can remove my bits off there. Um, (laughs) Welcome. Uh, Then... God's word will actually go to work in our lives. It's our receptivity of his word that is so important. So when his word dwells in us, it actually creates faith in our hearts. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read that in Romans 10 verse 17. And it works in us to accomplish what God pleases, because it's precious seed. So if you sow a healing seed in your heart, and you keep it there, and you water it by your meditation, you uh, speak it out of your mouth, then that word is going to accomplish healing in your life. It's going to work powerfully. It's going to work mightily within you, because you've received it. You've welcomed it. You've said, this is the word of God. And I highly esteem it. And it takes precedence in my thinking, in my life. And I, I receive it in spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel, as challenging as that can be. I am going to honor the word just as I honor God. When I honor the word, I'm honoring him. And then his word is fulfilled in our lives. And 
that is so good, that is so important, because when we see God's word fulfilled in our lives, we have a testimony, we have a story to tell, and I mean, how wonderful it is. I just love hearing testimony of what God has done for others. Well, it inspires faith, doesn't it? It gives God the glory, and he deserves the glory, doesn't he? And there was a a couple of scriptures that I found that I particularly enjoy, and one of them is Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4. It says, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. We want to make our God famous, right? We want people to know about him. And what better way can he know about, uh, can people know about God except when we tell them, this is who he is to me. This is what he's done in my life. And when, when God gets the opportunity, because we took his word, we received it, we, we sowed it in our heart, we believed it, we kept it, we walked in the light of it, we said, this is the truth, and I'm walking in the truth, and so it's fulfilled in our lives, and then we say, look what the Lord has done. Praise God. Wow. So it can be known in all the earth. So it can be no, known in KW, Cambridge, Guelph, and the surrounding area. We want to make God famous. Anybody else want to make God famous? Yes, we do. We want them to know. I mean, the news is so full of what's happening, the bad things that are happening. Well, we want to share the good news. And healing, miracles, advertises our God. It just tells others what he can do. Not only what he can do, but who he is, how much he loves them, how much he cares for them. Psalm 126 verse 3 says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. You know, I can look back on my life, and yes, there's been some tough times, but I can remember the times when I've seen the hand of God at work, and I've seen his touch, felt his touch. I've seen his miracles in my life and in the lives of others. And I can say, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Praise God. So he works, God works in our lives through his word and by his spirit. Because the spirit of God works in conjunction with the word of God. God's word is actually inspired. And that word means spirit breathed. You know, it's got the breath of God on it. Just as in the garden, God breathed life into that body that he had just formed, Adam in the garden, and he came alive. But when we take the word of God and we receive it with honor and with esteem, God breathes his life within us. And it's so powerful. It makes us live. You know, is there any area in your life where you do not see at this moment the life of God flowing? Well, receive his word, because when you do, it will go to work in you, and it will bring the life that God intended for for you, for us. So he works in us through his word. Receiving the gospel message is where it all begins for anyone. 
for us. That day when we heard the word, we received the word, the power of the gospel went to work inside of us. It may have been for some time we've heard the word, you know, it could be over years, could be over decades, but the day comes when we open the door and we say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my savior and my Lord. And no demon, no devil from hell could stop that transforming power The breath of God flowing into us, making us alive, resurrecting us from the death of trespasses and sins. Praise God. Romans 1.17, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, the word, as we read in that first scripture, it effectively works in you who believe. It's the power, the gospel of salvation for everyone who believes. It is our faith that causes the word to come alive in us. Praise God. Our faith is the response to the word of God that lives in us. The word there, power, power of God, actually means, well, the word in the Greek is dunamis, and it means miraculous power, might, strength. And and so when you turn the word loose in your life, you can expect the miraculous power of God to go to work in you. You can expect to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this is what we're encouraged to do, isn't it? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We read that in um, Ephesians chapter 6. Another scripture that speaks about the word of God being alive. It's Hebrews 4 verse 14, very well-known scripture. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Praise God. So the word there, active, is the same word as what we read up here. It, it's It's effective, it's productive of due result. It's doing, the word is doing in us what God intended it to do. It's going to work in us because we've received it into our life. God wants us to know just how powerful his word is. It is living, it's vital, and it will work in us to produce the things that God desires So, again, God's word will work effectively in our lives as we believe it. It brings us salvation. It brings us healing. It brings us deliverance. It renews our mind. It transforms our life. Praise God. And the word of God, who is the word of God? Jesus. So we could say it's Jesus bringing us salvation, healing, deliverance, a transformed life. He is the Word of God and He is alive and He is active in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who resides in us. In the book of Acts, we see 
a continual story unfolding. And there we see evidence of miracles, signs and wonders continually happening through the hands of the apostles and the disciples, the believers. They were witnessing constantly to the fact that Jesus is alive. And, and that's what they said. You know, here we are witnessing that Jesus, Jesus was raised from the dead. And the fact that we see miracles, that we see answers to prayer, that we see healings is evidence and it's proof that Jesus isn't actually in the grave, but Jesus is alive today and he is seated at the Father's right hand and he is there making intercession for us and he knows our need, he knows all about us and he's just waiting on a people who will take him at his word and believe him and step out in faith and say, in Jesus' name, I receive the promises of God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. I'm here to receive what belongs to me. And he will work and he will move. And this is what was happening in the book of Acts. And we see the word is working powerfully. And when you you see that, I'm going to read just a few short verses. Think of the word as being the gospel. Because this is what they had. They didn't have the epistles like we do today. They had the gospel. And they spoke about the gospel, and they preached the gospel. It's the good news, and everything we have today and everything we receive today is based on what Jesus did at the cross for us, right? That's where life flows from. Life, resurrection life, comes out of the fact that Jesus laid down his life, he took it again, and when he rose, we, the church, rose with him, and we partake of his very life and nature. Resurrection life is flowing here today in our lives and in this room. Praise God. In Acts 6 verse 7, it says, the word of God spread, and the number of the multitudes Uh, the, The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the word spread because it's alive, because it's powerful. The disciples were multiplied greatly. That was the effect and the results of the fact that the word was working. Many of the priests were obedient to the faith, and that was because their hearts and their lives were being changed and transformed on the inside, evidence that the word of God is working. In Acts 12, verse 22, it said, The word of God grew and it multiplied. So powerful is it when it's received in our hearts. Acts 19.20, it says, The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. I love that. It didn't, that's Acts 19 verse 20. It doesn't matter what we may be facing. It doesn't matter how difficult the situation and entrenched the situation might seem to be, if we would just take the word, if we would just believe it and receive it as our own, if we would just make it our bold confession, God's word, the seed, will grow. It will take root and grow in us, and it will prevail over any obstacle that comes against us. That's how powerful it is. Because with God, nothing shall be called impossible. So you can see the importance of keeping our focus on God's word. 
You know, in difficult times, I realize it's a challenge. When you're facing pain, discomfort in your body, it is a challenge. But God gives us the grace. He just never asks us to do something, something that we're incapable of doing. You know, he, he gives us the grace. When he says, this is my word, obey my word, he gives us a supply of grace. In other words, he gives us the power of the Spirit of God to help us, to empower us and uphold us and keep us moving forward because the Spirit of God has come to, to lead us into all truth. Praise God. You know, when we look at our circumstances and we get preoccupied with them, it can blind us to what God is doing in our lives. So God doesn't want us to keep our focus on how difficult that situation is and what are we going to do about it. He doesn't want us to live in the realm of reason, but he wants us to live in the realm of the spirit. I was driving along the road to the church just recently and it just suddenly came out of my heart because, you know, I expect you do the same, but when I'm on my own, I'll pray and, and uh, speak the word, etc. when I'm driving. And suddenly it just come out, came out of my heart and I said, God, I do not want to live out of reason. I want to live out of revelation, the revelation of your spirit. And God is so wanting to bring revelation to each one of us so that we can live in that revelation. So we don't live by sight. We don't walk by sight. But we walk and live each day and each moment by what does God say about this? You know, I believe God and uh, when we do that, he is powerfully at work in, in our lives. When we look at the circumstances and we keep our eyes on those, doubt can fill our minds. We become double-minded. One moment we're thinking about what God says, the next minute we're thinking about the situation, and we are double-minded. And you know what the word says in James chapter 1. He says that the one who's double-minded, let not that one believe or know that he is going to receive anything from the Lord. So it's vital for us that we are single-minded, that we take the word of God and we hold on to it for dear life. It is our lifeline. And sometimes it's a life and death situation. So we need to hold on to the word of God. Focus means something that's the center of interest and activity. When we love the word, then it's going to be the center of interest. We're going to say, what did God say about that? Hey, what, what was that word? Faithful. Let's look that one up. You know, we can go, how blessed we are. We can go online and we can find out what the Greek words are and the different shades of meaning and the Hebrew and we can sort of dissect it and we can, I love doing that. Because you can get more understanding about what God is saying when you do that. When you study and you go into the word, he reveals its truth to you. And then that word becomes active in your life. What happens is you start acting upon it and you start living in the light of it. You begin to live as if what God says is true. And because you do, he's breathing life within you and he gets getting involved in your situation and he's bringing the answers that you need. The word deserves our focus, our undivided attention. It is life. It is health to us. 
but it requires a choice that we set our minds on things above, Colossians 1, verses 2. And uh, if you remember those verses, that because we are risen with Christ, and we've already determined this morning that we are, we've been raised to a new life with him, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Because you're dead. As far as this world is concerned, Jesus said we're not of this world. We're, from, we're citizens of heaven, aren't we? we? We don't belong here, not forever, in terms of this natural life. We have a home in heaven. And so he wants us to set our minds upon things above. And I love this because it's, it says there where Christ sits at the right hand of God. So when we set our minds on things above and we see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. We know that he is there because he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, because he's been given the name that's above every name, and he is Lord of all, and he's Lord of our lives. So every situation in our life has to bow its knee before the presence of the one who is seated at the Father's right hand. Praise God. He is Lord of all. So we are to set our minds on things above, I remember that last month, Jim was speaking about the thermostat. And, you know, in, with our furnaces, especially in the winter when it's so cold, we set the thermostat. We want to be warm. We want to be comfortable. When we wake up in the morning, we expect that warmth and comfort to greet us. When we get out of bed, we don't expect to be shivering. We expect to be able to get ready for our day in, in warm temperature. And so it is at the beginning of the day, and this is when I feel it's the key and most important time, is your first conscious thought in the morning. You know, instead of it being the current situation that you're dealing with, let it be the word of God. You know, even just Jesus, I love you. Oh, Lord, thank you for a new day. You know, we're going to walk together through this day. I'm going to enjoy your presence. What we're doing was we are acknowledging him. And when we acknowledge him at the beginning of the day, we're going to experience his presence through our day. When we acknowledge his word is the truth, not that thing that seems to be prevailing, we acknowledge the word is truth and we're living and walking in it, then we are going to have an expectation, just like you do when you set your thermostat, you're going to have an expectation of warmth. We are going to have an expectation because we've set our thermostat, so to speak, in our hearts concerning God's word, concerning the fact that Jesus is Lord and he's reigning in my life. We have an expectation that he is going to come, whatever the need may be, and he is going to help me to overcome that situation. We are going to triumph because he always causes us to triumph in Christ. That's going to be our expectation. So, praise God. One day God said to me, I was working away in the kitchen, he said, don't look at the circumstances to see what the devil is doing. Look at the word and see what God is doing. And I've never forgotten that. And it's a good reminder because sometimes we do get bogged down with what's going on around us, don't we? But God is saying, don't look at those things. Don't look on the things that are seen. Look on those unseen, eternal things that are powerful and see what I am doing. 
He wants us to see beyond the natural, into the realm of the spirit, into the supernatural, and by faith see what he is doing. So when we meditate on his word, we become occupied with what he's doing. And he is working powerfully in us. He is moving mightily in our lives. Can you say that with me? He is moving mightily in me. Praise God. Abraham, the father of our faith, his focus was on God's promise. And uh, we read about it in Romans 4, 19 to 21. And I'm just going to quickly just read that to you. It says that he was not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So we can see through these verses how he grew strong in faith. He did not consider the circumstances, his own body, and Sarah's body, because they were aged as they were. But he considered the promise of God. He gave glory to God. And that would have included, he gave praise, honor, glory, verbally, and he even allowed God to change his name to the father of many nations. Um, You know, and at this point, there was no Isaac in the picture. But God gave him a promise, and he didn't waver by looking at the circumstances, at the impossibility. But he looked at the promise of God. He gave God glory. And his heart became fully persuaded and convinced that what God said he was going to do. Praise God. Yes, it took faith. It took patience. And they worked together. Both are vital in our lives. Hebrews 6, uh, verse 11 and 12, it says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence, we could say as Abraham did, to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, sometimes we see a miracle and it happens in a moment, right? But other times we have the promise and it might be days, weeks, months, could even be years. But God says, if you'll keep my word and hold on to it, the day's going to come when that word's going to bear fruit in your life and you're going to see a manifestation of the spirit in your life and circumstances. And uh, I am going to do what you have asked and you are going to see my word fulfilled in your life. So Our faith needs to be in the working of God. Praise God. We're buried with him in baptism. We're raised with him through faith in the working of God. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, who raised him from the dead. And because we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, here we are in resurrection life within us. Praise God. Yeah, amen. The just shall live by faith. We read this, Romans 1.17, Habakkuk 2.4, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. Perhaps God was trying to get something across to us. The just shall live by faith. That's how he is intended and designed for his people to live, by faith. 
Obedience to his word is our faith in action. You know, we're talking about the book of Acts and the people, the apostles, and how they were witnessing the power of God. Well, you know, they became known as Christians at Antioch. And so, of course, through the years, we have been called Christians, little anointed ones. And it was because they were being led by the Spirit. It was because the power of God was working in their lives to bring manifestation of what God had promised, what Jesus had done at the cross through his death and resurrection. Being led by the Spirit is an expression of our faith in Christ, the anointed one. In Isaiah 55, verse 11, we see the word working. We see how God sends his word out into a situation. When God speaks to us, when he gives a word, a rhema word, we call it, a word that God is saying today that's relevant to our situation, we can take that word and we can believe it. It will create faith in our hearts when we hold it within us and we act upon it. That word will go to work for us. And that's the word God is sending to you. To me, it says in this um, chapter, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word goes to work, and that scripture just explains and describes what happens. It goes out, it goes forth. It says in um, Psalm 147, verse 15, he sends out his command to the earth, so God speaks, and his word runs very swiftly. His word is working powerfully. In Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I just want to tell you a story from my own experience which demonstrates how God's word works in our lives. And uh, it was concerning Nathan, Pastor Nathan. (laughs) Um, Of course, I gave birth to him some years ago. (laughs) And uh, after giving birth to him, I had terrific pain in my chest. And in England, um, they would give you gas and air. It could be laughing gas. I'm not sure what it, it was called. But anyway, it was gas to help with the pain, the labor pains. And uh, it was something about that that affected my lungs, and it caused a tremendous pain. It was actually worse than the the labor pains because there was no relief. They gave me medication, and it didn't touch it. And afterwards, they took me back into um, a ward, a room, and I was all on my own. And as I lay in the bed, I in pain. I was tossing and turning. I couldn't keep still. I was in so much pain. And I heard the voice of God. And I know it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. He would speak to me a scripture as clear as anything. And I would hear that and I would speak it out of my mouth. I would turn over and he'd speak to me again. And I would speak that scripture and, and, and it went on, I don't know how long for, but he kept, the Spirit of God was ministering to me. He kept speaking the Word of God, and I kept speaking it out of my mouth. And I fell asleep. And even when I woke up, I was totally healed. God sent his Word and healed me. He was a very present help for me in trouble. And that's what he will do. 
you know, it depends sometimes how dire our situation may be, but he will come and he will get right in the middle of it and he will say, I am here with you. I will help you. And he will speak his word and he will encourage us. Praise God. How are we doing for time, Jim? Okay, okay. All right, so one thing, getting close, okay. One thing that can influence us and put the brakes on, if you like, concerning our life of faith is when we not only look at the circumstances, but we, we dwell in the past. And we look back and we see the times things didn't work for us. Perhaps times when we failed. Things that we regret. You know, um, disappointments. And God doesn't want us to look at the past. He, he tells us not to look back. No wonder he does. And remember this, this year, what is the one word that we've heard that is um, the theme for this word, this year? Can anyone... Pardon? Forward. That's it. God wants us to look ahead. He wants us to see um, and have some vision and insight from the spirit of what he's going to do. Take his word and build expectation and have a living faith in our hearts. And there's two scriptures here that tell us about not looking back. Do not remember, this is Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Okay, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. But God doesn't want us to camp there. He wants us to move forward with expectation in his promise. God is going to do a new thing. He's going to do a new thing in your lives, in each one of you. He's got a new thing. Every morning, his mercies are new for you, and he's going to do a new thing. And he wants you to take his word and say, that's mine. That's my promise. God's spoken that to me, and I'm going to dust, take the dust over that thing, and I'm going to get it, and I'm going to receive it, and I'm going to meditate on it, and I'm going to dream about its fulfillment in my life, and I'm going to see by faith God bringing that that. Scripture to pass, that promise to pass in my life. And we are going to see amazing things when we do that. In Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We can expect good things from God. And we should be. Forget what was behind, if it was bad or if it was good. We thank God for all he's done and we don't forget those things. But nevertheless, he doesn't want us to camp there. He wants us to be filled with expectation of the things he's promised us for today and for, for the future. One day, God recently, God said to me, get rid of all negativity. And suddenly I realized that doubt comes clothed in negativity. So if we think on the negative and we think about how bad things might be, the enemy has an open door and doubt can come into our hearts. And doubt, well, doubt opposes what God wants to do. We can't have doubt and unbelief and a heart full of faith at the same time. Um, negative invaders of the mind. It's in a book by Kevin Gerald. 
and it's called Mind Monsters and how to deal with the negative invaders of the mind. And, and doubt is like a negative invader of the mind. So we can't keep company with doubt and unbelief and have a heart full of faith. Um, not too long ago, I was at a cafe in Conestoga and I was wanting to find a, a parking spot. And uh, I thought, oh, look, there's, that looks like a good, uh, good spot. In fact, it, I'll tell you what it was called. It was called Rumble Tums. You might have heard of it. It's a really nice cafe. And I thought, where am I going to park? And I saw this spot, and then I saw a sign. It says, don't even think about it. <laughs> Brought a smile to my face. So I had to go beyond that and find somewhere. And, you know, there are some things in life that God, I believe, is saying to us, don't even think about it. In other words, cast that thought down. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read about that in verses 3 to 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring that thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ or the anointed one and, and the word of God. What does the word say? I am driving that thought out of my life. I am not going to entertain it. God's answer for us is that we renew our minds. I know that here at Healing School, this is a big thing for us, renewing our minds with his word and replacing negative thoughts with the truth of God's word. He wants us to change our expectation. Forget about the times we didn't see things work out, but just begin to believe that what God says is true. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. His word works. It works mightily in the hearts of those who believe it. And we are believers. We aren't doubters. We aren't unbelievers. We are believers. Can you say that? I am a believer. And I expect God to fulfill his word in my life. Praise his name. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, we believe that you have spoken and you're going to continue to speak to us as Jim comes to share your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful, it's alive, it's active, and it's working right now in us. And Father, we receive it by faith and we give you glory and we give you honor. Lord, we esteem your word. We say, oh God, we need it in our hearts, and Lord, we take it and we receive it by faith today, and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's all about you. It's all about your grace. It's all about your passion for the multitude. It's all about the anointing. It's all about the anointing, meaning God, a man, doing what man can't do by himself. Amen. That's why I, that, I'm desperate for that. I'm desperate to see God move in these last days. Amen. You know what? I talk to a lot of people. Are you recording that? Go ahead. I talk to a lot of people that every day in the hospital and stuff. Who People who are, some of them are converts I've prayed for and led to the Lord. And a lot of them are. And they're all talking about, I, I got them stirred up. They're expecting revival. They're expecting healings. They're expecting great things. They're expecting the move of God, the power of God. And I said to them the other day, you know, it's not a sovereign move, but it's a move that starts in you, and it starts in you, and it starts in you. It starts in dry and thirsty people.
and it works up into a headwind of, a, of the power of God, the anointing of God. It becomes a stream of living water, just like you said there. God's creating rivers in the desert to flood, to stir up. And the body of Christ is sitting back waiting for Jesus to do something. And all along, what's, what he's got is there's, there's a hope in us. The hope's in us. It's Jesus. Though Jesus is the hope of glory, and he lives in us. No, the, the end time revival is not just going to come because God makes up his mind at a certain time, at a certain place. The end time, I'm prophesying to you right now. The end time is coming because we learn how to release the rivers of life. But first of all, we've got to be filled with the waters of life. Amen. And a lot of us have grown cold. A lot of us have grown dry. A lot of us have gone stale because we've got our focus. We've got to get desperate, Peter. We've got to get desperate for Jesus. I am so desperate to see souls one with the kingdom of God. I've been crying out to God saying, oh God, give us, give us souls. I'm saying, God, give, give us souls. Heal people. Help them. And God said to me, he says, I appreciate your desperation, Jim. But you got your desperations off a little bit. Your goal is not souls. And I'm an evangelist. Your goal is not a harvest of seeing people healed. Your goal has to be me. Our desperation has to be about him. I want more of him. I said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. He said, you lost your first love. And many of us in church, we come to church. I dare say koinonia is not our first love. Relationships are not our first love. They're all important. The Bible says, don't forsake the gathering together. Our first love is Jesus. You're getting your healing isn't what you're to be desperate for. A lot of people are desperate to get healed. And that's part of the reason why we don't get healed. Our desperation has to be Jesus. The Bible says, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. All these things you feel you're desperate for are all come in one package and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I've got so desperate for Jesus. People say, well, yeah, you, it must hurt you to see your wife and that. Yeah, well, man, I, I know, because I know there's, there's, there's better things in life. How, how much do you want that healing? You got to really want, no, that's, I've, I've, my focus is not that. My focus has to be on Jesus. My focus is in on, on, on grief or, or the torment or the, the things I see people going through. It has to be on Jesus. And when it becomes on Jesus, I become part of the solution. Amen? I'm not, I'm not part of that, that problem of, yeah, yeah, do it. is the sickness ever come around you? What do we do? We seek Jesus. I don't even go after healing anymore. I go after Jesus. Oh, think about that. And the church, we look around the church, the church, is, the church is desperate for something, but they don't know. Why? Because they're dry. The scripture dot left off with dry and thirsty land where there's no water. We need water. Years ago, 
I was given a piece of property because I, I had a heart for drug addicts and alcoholics and stuff. And, and I had a piece of property given to me in, up in northern Saskatchewan, 160 acres of, of land. And the guy who gave it to me says, I hesitate giving it to you because you're going to have to truck in water. We couldn't, there's no water on that land, 160 acres of land. I've been believing God for some land to build a, a, a place. I built a farm there and, and brought in alcoholics and drug addicts, young drug addicts, to help them. And this guy said, I want to give you this land. There's nothing on it. It's just bare land. He, he lived in an old barn that was all tattered there. And he used to bring in jugs of water. Him and his kids, they migrated from the States. And they brought jugs of water in. And, and, uh, and to this day, you can go in that old barn. There's all kinds of books. They homeschooled their kids. They lived there and they, they drank water out of these things. And I thought, well, if God gives me a dry and a thirsty land, there's got to be water. God's not going to give me something that there's no water. So I moved up there. My son and I, we didn't know. We didn't have any direction from God. I, t I had an old pickup truck that somebody gave me. We, I said, throw two shovels in the back of the truck and, uh, and throw in uh, a, a, a jug of water. And we went up there on 24th of May weekend in northern Saskatchewan. It's cold. We almost froze that night. Our dog, we brought water in a dish for the dog because the dog went with us and we woke up in the morning the water frozen. And we, we were sleeping there. And that, we just did that out of an act of faith. 160 acres of trees. And I won't begin to tell you what all began to happen, but what we did is we wanted to make something take place. So I was praying that morning. I said, Lord, we need water. We need to clear this land. All we got is two shovels, me and my son, and we're not going to do this one. And a guy drove down the street, a logging thing, down the road, I mean. We didn't have any neighbors for 10 miles. But God supplied a logging guy drove by. I stopped him. I didn't have a dime to my name. I said, can you, what do you cost to clear me five or six acres right here? He says, oh, I can do that for about $3,500. I didn't have any money. I said, when do you bill me? He says, oh, I'll bill you in about 90 days. I said, how long do I have to pay? Oh, about a month. So I said, oh, well, there we go. We got four months. I don't have to pay nothing. I'm going to have to believe God for $3,500 now. That day I, I was praying. The Lord said, uh, Lord says, well, if you need water, why don't you dig for it? So I got, I got in the phone book, and I looked up a well, a guy for a well, and uh, to, to, to dig a well. He came out. If you want water, you've got to dig a well. If you want the water of life freely in your life, you've got to dig some wells. And your, and your desire, your desperation... For God will dig waters that he'll fill. He'll fill. He'll fill. This is the well. He'll fill that heart of yours with water of life freely if you'll get desperate for him. I was desperate for water. I had a 160-acre farm there. So I called this guy. He'd come on out. And I said, I want you to dig a well. I said, what's your name? My name's Jim Lee. He says, oh, my name's Jim Christian. I said, whoa, there's a sign. I said, I'm a Christian, and uh, I was going to witness to him. And he says, no, I'm a Christian too. I says, I want, I, I, I'm believing God for some water in this place. He says, is there any streams around here? I said, nothing. He says, well, where do you want me to dig? He says, by the way, I don't wish for water. I'm a Christian. I said, I don't like it neither. I used to years ago. I used to do that kind of stuff. 
But uh, witching for water means you get a stick and it shows you where water is. But a little bit of witchcraft involved in it. So he said, I don't do that. He said, where do you want the water? I said, well, the house is going to go here. We've got to be 50 feet from the house. We can, on buildings over here, they've got to be 50 feet from that. There's a hydro line over there. We've got to be 50 feet. So there's only one place right here. He said, well, let's dig. Says, and I told him the story about what he says, I'll dig you and I'll put you in a well for cost. He says, I won't charge you a dime, only what it cost me to be here. He started to dig, started to dig, started to drill, started to drill. Are you drilling some wells? I'm going to help you drill some wells this morning. He started to drill. He started to drill. He got down 80 feet. He says, Jim, I don't know. What do you think? I said, well, you know what? Why don't we just go a little longer? He dug down at 81 feet. We almost quit at 80. How many here you almost quit? Amen. How many here have almost quit? I've almost quit lots of times. We said, no, let's keep going. 81 feet, he hit a beautiful well. That streamed up. Amen. There's many of you here today, many in the church today, that God's given them territories. God's given them a land. And he filled that well, these cisterns full of water. But we've let them leak out. We've let them drain. We've let them float away and we become a dry and thirsty land because we've left our first love. We've left our first love of Jesus. That water came up and I had water. It never ran out of water. I had 18 guys living there at one time, showering every day. We never, never ran out of water. God is so good. And if you'll seek God, See, we were drilling down because I knew we knew there was something down there. God wouldn't give me that without down there. There's something in you. There's goals, there's visions, there's dreams in your heart. There's healing in your heart. There's health, there's prosperity. It's all down there. We got to dig those wells. And the way we dig those wells is fellowship and seeking first the kingdom of God. We got to get desperate for the presence of God. I become desperate the presence of God. I can hardly stand to watch a, I was trying to watch a hockey game last night. I'm a sports nut. I couldn't do it. I had to turn it off. I was just so desperate for the presence of God. Got down on my face on the floor. And, 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 and what happened, God begins to fit me. And, pretty, and what I'm doing now is I'm sharing this to you. You feel it? Sense the anointing? That's the water that's coming from this well. There's not a, there's wasn't just enough to supply my family for that well. It supplied all my guys. I traveled preaching. It supplied everybody else because we were able to live on that water. Well, the same thing spiritually. See, the water in you, when you dig it up by your, you dig it into the presence of God, into Jesus, what happens, it comes from you. I walk through the hospital, and God gives me visions and dreams I could share with people. I did that yesterday with Bruce. And Gord, I shared a, a vision with him. Shared a vision that God gave him. I'll share that same vision today. That'll be good. I shared a vision with him. In other words, I tapped into a well. And that water that flows up becomes revelation. It comes up and changes people's lives. See, there's going to be a revival because of that well that we're digging by the presence of God. And we've got to become desperate for that. Turn in your Bibles. I'm going to go to the Word. Matthew chapter 14, everybody say thank God for the word this morning. Amen. 
I want to I share a, a, a story with you that everybody's very familiar with, but I'm going to put a different slant on it. When you, Matthew chapter 14 says, you know, Jesus just, just fed the 5,000. Supernaturally, he fed the 5,000. Amen? They're hungry. Disciples wanted to send them away. I look at that every week when I come into church. Not 5,000 here, but there's 1,000. And I have such a burden for, for, for them and for other people. I want them to get more of Jesus. And, I, and I'm saying that, but I'm saying they've got, they, it doesn't matter what's being preached from the pulpit or anywhere else, they have to dig into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They've got to become desperate. You're not going to get anything by coming to church, coming to healing school, or going anywhere else. You've got to get in the face of Jesus. You've got to get desperate for it. Amen? And I have that burden when I come into church. I used to have a burden because I see sick people and I want to see them get healed. I'm more desperate now for the presence of God in other people than I've ever been in my life. I'm not just desperate for people I walk through the hospital and see sick. Or I'm not just desperate for sinners I see downtown as I'm driving through, the, through to the hospital every day. I'm desperate for Christians who are dry. They've lost their first love. Oh, I'm still a Christian. I still love my church. I go to church. I got friends. I got Christian friends. Oh, I don't do a lot of bad things. But your cisterns are leaking. Because we got to seek Jesus. We got to seek the presence of God. Here's a bunch of people hungry. And Jesus, by an act of his will, stepped out and fed them. Amen? Why did he feed them? You're going to see here now. Verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the, into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Well, if I just get together and fellowship with the church, everything's going to be all right. No, he, he sent the multitude away. Sent his disciples on assignment. Now there's nothing wrong with a bunch of fellowship and stuff. But I'm saying there's, there's sometimes we got to get our priorities right. He'd been with these 5,000 probably all weekend. But it says here, he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I hazard to say, what did he do? He sought his father. And that's what fed the 5,000. Wasn't loaves and fishes? That was the avenue he used to feed the loaves and fishes. But why was he able to do that miracle? Is because he went away regularly, out of desperation to be with his father. He said one time, "I don't do anything I don't see my father do. I don't say anything I don't see my father say." A lot of years are doing the wrong things because you haven't seen the father do anything. You haven't heard the father say anything. Because we're seeking healing, we're seeking health, we're seeking other things, rather than seeking the Father himself, rather than seeking Jesus himself. See, the answer is right there. He went away by himself to pray. 
There's times when you've got to separate yourself from the multitude. Yeah, relationships are, 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 are good. But your relationship with Jesus is the key thing. And you've got to be desperate for that. Are you desperate for that today? Well, I'll tell you, the more you seek it, the more desperate you become. Because you learn you can't live without it. Jesus couldn't live without it. He, he ministered, preached, did miracles, sent the disciples in the boat. And went by himself to pray. Now look at verse 14. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. These guys have been around Jesus. Matter of fact, he taught them how to pray. He taught them everything they knew. But they're in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the sea, in a storm. Well, the winds are tossed to and fro. They could have been by themselves to pray too. Now, I'm not saying you have to spend every hour every day just in prayer. But I'm saying that has, to be your, that has to be your desperate focus in life. What are you focused on? But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The fourth, night of the, fourth watch of the night, is uh, there's, there's four watches. Understand? Night... In, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, in, the, in Israel, began at 6 o'clock at night till 6 in the morning. That was a night time. And there was four watches in those, in those 12 hours. 6, 7, 8 was, was the first watch. 8, 9, 10 was the second watch. 11, 12, 1, uh, I'm not counting it right there, but the fourth watch was 3, 4, uh, the third hour, the fourth hour, the, up to six o'clock anyways. But it's the darkest time of the day. See, Jesus, even when you're in a storm, he won't come a lot of times till the darkest time of the day. When it seems almost inevitable, nothing's going to happen. We're going to die, but something's going to happen. He came on the fourth watch of the day. Paul, or a, uh, uh, David said this, early will I seek you. That's the same one. That's like you break that down. The Hebrew is talking about the fourth watch of the day. In the blackest time, early will I seek you. Amen. Early will I seek. Jesus has been seeking God. And in the darkest time, he was able to come along and help the disciples who were there in the book. That's what I'm looking at. Let, let, let me jump a little bit. I'm not going to bother reading that too much because you know the story. But we read us dry, thirsty Christians, we read that story a lot of times with the wrong focus. I've read that story, I've heard it preached multitudes of times. And it's always about the disciples, and it's always about their storms, it's always about the bad things happening. It's always about Peter. Peter got a rhema from God. Peter heard that rhema word from God, a specific word, and what did he do? He stepped out and walked. Oh, Peter, 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 the focus. Peter walked in the water. He had the faith of God to walk on the water. Then he, then he saw the wind boisterous. He sunk. Peter, Peter, Peter. He sunk in the water, but then 
Then he grabbed Jesus. Jesus grabbed him, and they walked back to the boat, and the, calm, the storm calmed. All about Peter. All these lessons we learn from Peter. But the focus has to be on Jesus. Interpret scripture that way, folks. Whenever you read stories, stop focusing on what the people did to get something. Jesus has already done it. We've got to, we are part, I often say it this way, Ruthie, when the woman with the issue of blood came to Jesus, we often say, well, what did she do? How did she get her healing? She had faith and she had all this. No, we're to focus on Jesus. Jesus was the answer to the problem and Christ in us is the hope of glory. We should see ourselves as the Jesus who lays the hands on the sick lady. We need to see ourselves as the, the, the Christ, the Christian church, who goes to be with Jesus, I mean with God on the hill, spends that time, and in the worst hour of the world when they're having the struggles and the worst storms, we show up in the darkest time. Why? Because we're full of the Holy Ghost and power. We come walking on the water. And the focus isn't on Peter that he went to Jesus focused on us, that we had the answer for Peter. Come, Peter. Peter got a revelation from God. He got this. No, that's not the focus, is that God, Jesus, had the revelation for Peter. You understand? We've got to be desperate for Jesus. When you read through the Bible, you've got, and you read all these stories about blind Bartimaeus. Stop looking at blind Bartimaeus as, as our focal point, what we got to do. You start looking at what Jesus was. He, he was the one with the answer. Focus on him. See, we've grown cold. We've grown dry because our focus is wrong. We're focused, well, if I go to church, I'm going to get this. Well, if I go to fight, I'm going to get that. No, no, it's got nothing to do with that. What you're doing is taking Jesus to that church. That's why people say, well, I don't know if I like this church or this church or this church. Well, are you going to show up? They say, well, I don't sense Jesus there. Then where are you? Christ in me is the hope of glory. I walk through the front door of that church. I am not, I'm not, you know what, I, I, sometimes I know what I like to hear. I don't always hear what I like to hear. That's got nothing to do with it. But I bring in what I like to hear because I hear God. Amen? I don't walk through church saying, what can I get? Who's going who's gonna to smile at me and who's going to give satisfaction to me by making me feel welcome? That I come in there thinking, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I, don't even, I used to look for sick people. Go pray for them. I don't even do that anymore. Say, Lord, who are you talking to me about? Jesus, all I want to hear is you. I want to see you. Show me your heart. I have such a heart right now for evangelism that I'm willing to give everything to, not to win souls, but to get in the foot, feet of Jesus, get in his presence so that it becomes not what I do, but who I am. And I have, if I have to do that by being by myself with Jesus night and day, then I'll do it. And I'm not talking about works. Jeremiah chapter 2. Just write these down if you want. Jesus, God said, you've lost you're not where you used to be, Jerusalem or Israel. You've lost your first love. Turn over to that, Jeremiah chapter 2. Say thank God for the word. 
Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 2. Go and cry into the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord. I'm crying unto you this morning. I'm speaking to you by the, by the anointing of an, of an evangelist and a prophet this morning. I've given you, I'm giving you revelation from this well of life. Amen? That, that Canaan property I had, that was my name of my ministry, Canaan. That was no good unless I drilled a well. I could have never done anything. You can't do anything unless you drill that well. And you do that by prayer, by meditation, by spending time alone with God, by meditating on the Word of God. Not from what you can get out of it because of who He is. You understand what I'm saying? I just want more of Jesus. Look what it says here. I I remember you, God says, the kindness of your youth. I love your betrothal. That was when we married. That's when you got connected. That's when you became a Christian, right? When you went after me in the wilderness. I went after Jesus in the wilderness. I was lost. I was a drug addict. I was a drunk. And I went after him in the wilderness. I wanted something. I didn't know what I want. Jesus showed up and said, it's me you want. And I realized that. And I was so in love with Jesus. But pretty soon I got involved with ministry. Pretty soon I got involved with a lot of other things. And we, I traveled around the world. I did, we, we, you know, we were able to accomplish a lot of good things. But in that, the ministry becomes a little more important. Where I am becomes a little more important. But God, through his sovereignty and his grace, continued to use that. But how much more if Jesus just stayed the focus? See, we become a wilderness. We become a wasteland. How many of us have become a wilderness and a wasteland? Left our first love. Let's look, look down here. Verse 3. Israel was, was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devoured him were offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. O house of Jacob and the families of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, have followed idols and have become idolaters? You say, I wouldn't do that. But you won't go in the presence of God unless there's nothing on TV. You won't worship God unless it's your favorite song. I don't like the songs they're singing this morning. You're worshiping idols. You can, you can make a Christian song an idol. I found I can get in the presence of God, no music, nothing, nothing at all. Just, just step in. Lord, here I am. Yeah, I just said that now, and it just, boom, that's my, that's my key. Just something opens when I say that. We make, we make things our idol. God's got to be we got to be desperate for them. Neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who has led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and pits, through the land of the drought and the, sh- and the shadow of death, through the land where there is no cross and there is no, no one dwelt there. Now look at verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. Everybody say two. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. 
The first evil we've committed is we've forsaken him. No, no, we haven't forgot about Jesus. We haven't backslid. We haven't done a lot of bad things, but we have not forsaken his, we have forsaken his presence. We've forsaken who he is. We're looking for idols might be healing. I know God wants us healed. Don't get me wrong. He wants us healed. But we're to seek first the kingdom of God. We have forsaken him and the uh, committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and healed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. There's a lot of things in your life that are a cistern. You know what a cistern is? It's a container that holds water. And a lot of us have tried to build containers that are leaky containers. Oh, if I had the right fellowship, if I join the right group, if I do the right thing, I do this, if I do that, everything's going to be good in my life. If I could just find the right thing to do at church or the right place to get involved. Thank God for all that. Or find the the right revival meeting. Thank God for all that. But it's the person of Jesus that you got to be desperate for. All these other things are just cisterns that are going to leak. You're going to find yourself dry. You're going to find yourself in a wilderness experience. It's Jesus that we have to be desperate for. Turn over to Second Kings. Everybody say thank God for the word. You getting anything out of this this morning? Hallelujah. Are you, just, are you just mad at me? Praise God. I don't care. Anyways, I give up a long time ago if anybody's cared mad at me. Half the world's mad at me. You know what? When, before I was a Christian, everybody liked me. I sold drugs, so I didn't like them. I beat them up. And people liked me. And I got saved. Nobody liked, everybody got mad at me because I told the truth. <laughs> second, second Kings chapter, uh, let's look at verse 15, uh, no, 14. No, no, let's look at the story first. I'll tell you about it because I don't want to take time. Second Kings chapter, uh, chapter 3. Here's a story here about uh, three kingdoms. And one kingdom goes against God. So these three kingdoms decide to get together and fight, and, 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 and fight against the other one who's become an a, a, a enemy to Israel. So they start to march down on this king and they find themselves in the wilderness. Anybody ever found themselves in a wilderness? I do. If I'm in the wilderness, that's... that's what, by the way, the word wilderness is not necessarily a bad place. It's a place where you have an opportunity to be alone with God. Sometimes the wilderness... Remember Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness? I used to wonder, why would the Holy Spirit lead him into the wilderness? Well, because it's, it's a, a, an opportunity to be alone with God. Sometimes when you're dry, it's, it's an indication that you need water. Amen? Stop putting too much into it. If you're thirsty, it's because you need a drink. Ruthie's a nurse. She can tell you a lot of, a lot of prob- people's problems that come in, they're dehydrated. They just need, need, need a drink. Amen? Charlie can tell you that too. People are de- dehydrated because we got to stay. Well, the same thing spiritually. It says here, now, now they were fighting, and what happened? What did they do? What did the king of Israel do? He did the smart thing. He's, then uh, Let's go back to uh, verse 11. And Jehoshaphat said, there is no prophet of the Lord here 
that we may inquire the Lord by him. In other words, someone's got to bring you the word. Amen? Someone's got to bring you the truth. That's why people don't like me. Because I bring in the truth. You're dry. You got no water. You're all dried up. You need, you need a drink. Oh, how do you know what I need? I'm a bit, bit, bit. Because I know. Okay? And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So let's go up there and see. They're going up to see Elijah the prophet. So the king of Israel and the Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom all went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I got to do with you? You know what? How many times I say that to people? Well, it's no wonder you're, you have all these problems. Look at you. When's the last time you ever, you need to seek, you need to seek the face of God. What have I got to do with you? There's nothing to do. If you continue the way you're going, there's nothing we can do. Sometimes you need to tell people that. You know what to do. I tell my kids that sometimes. I say, you know what to do. You were raised in this gospel. Don't, don't bellyache to me about your problem. I say, it's my son all the time. You know, what, you know what the truth is. You know what to do. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophet of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, see, he's saying, okay, well, if you're not getting anything from the presence of God. Go back to what works for you. After he, actually, he knew nothing to work for him. He just wanted, wanted to say, no, I want you. I want the prophet of God. I want the words. Nor for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the land of Moab. So Elisha said, the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. So what does, what does the prophet say? He says, that, he says that the only reason I'm going to do this is because uh, some of you deserve it. Some of you don't. But bring me a musician. Let's worship God. Let's get in, in the presence of God. Amen. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon the prophet. Amen. Now look what he says. But now bring, bring me a musician and the hand of the Lord played came upon him. And he said, say to the Lord God, make this valley full of ditches. That's what I'm telling you today, exactly. If you listen to me, this is what I'm trying to tell you today. If you're, gut, if you're dry... You've got to dig some dish, ditches. I had to dig a well in order to get water. And where did the water come from? It burst from underneath, came up. Amen? Then I had to dig some ditches for that water to get to my buildings. I did it in the pipes. I didn't do it in ditches. I built di ditches and put it through pipes, keep it clean. See what I'm saying? And the prophet is saying this. He says, okay, give me some. He says, I'm going to get in the presence of God. When he got in the presence of God, what happened? He's in the presence of God. Now he's got a word for us. Dig some ditches. But to make a long story short, Israel was obedient. They began to dig some ditches. We dig ditches through prayer, Peter. We dig ditches through meditation. We dig ditches by spending time in the presence of God. I go in the presence of God and say, Lord, I'm digging some ditches. 
I'm, I'm clean. I, I preached to you about a year ago about, about uh, redigging the old wells. Remember I preached about that, about Isaac had to go back and get rid of the garbage that was in the wells because the enemy came along and filled the old wells with rocks and, and plugged them so that they would lose their health, they'd lose their nourishment, they couldn't water their, their flocks. And the enemy's done that to a lot of us. He's filled our wells, our cisterns with the cares of this world, the seat full of the riches. We've got different idols and God's telling us to go back through prayer meditation in the presence of God and dig those things out again. Redig those old wells and dig some ditches. And when what happened, make a long story short, Israel went out and they dug ditches everywhere. And nothing happened until the next day. And they went out and the ditches were full of water. See, when you dig ditches, God will make sure that he comes. He's the water of life. He'll fill those reservoirs. If you're in a dry and thirsty land, it's because you're not digging ditches. You say, but we're under grace. We don't have to work like that to dig ditches. No, digging ditches is the rest of God under the new covenant. I get on the, I don't work to dig ditches. I just go, I lay them the floor or in front of my fireplace. Sometimes I'll put some music in. Sometimes I won't. I'll just say, oh Lord, you show me. I want more of you. What am I doing? I'm digging ditches. And you know what? When I dig ditches, when you come through that line at the end when we're praying, we're digging ditches. And God's going to fill as many ditches as we dig, as many times we're obedient to God. He's going to fill those ditches full of water. The next day, the enemy came to, out there. And what he did is he, they looked across the land and it was a desert. It was just a wasteland. There's nothing out there. But the, when, the, when the enemy army came out to look across there, they saw all this water out there. And the way the sun was shining, it looked like blood. They said, what's going on? Maybe they've got mad at each other and killed off each other. So they went down there rejoicing. And when they got down there, Israel and the three, two other camps, they, went, they rose up and destroyed them. Why? Because of the water. See, the water of life. See, it looked like blood. The blood of Jesus comes from, from Jesus. It covers you. The enemy doesn't see who that is when you do that. You see what I'm saying? And what happened? They they came out victoriously because they dug some ditches. They dug some ditches. Some of us got to dig some ditches. How do we dig ditches? By putting our focus on Jesus, getting our focus back on him. And what happens? Suddenly. You say, suddenly God's going to heal me just out of nowhere. Oh, God's, it's in God's timing. No, suddenly's come when we take the rest and dig some ditches and hew up those wells. And suddenly, the Holy Ghost shows up. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for the word. Amen. Turn over to Psalm 63. I want to share that vision with you I had the other day, but I want to go to the scripture first. Psalm 63. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Psalm 63. Here's David. He's desperate. Remember David was King David. He, he sinned. He went and ran off with a harlot. He got his focus off his father. Got his focus off God. Got it on a harlot. Ended up in sin with her. Now look what it says here in verse uh, chapter 63, verse 1. It says, O God, 
you are my God. Early, that word early, you notice this in capitals? I looked it up to see why it's in capitals. The fourth watch. In the darkest times. The most desperate times. He was desperate. That's what early means. Desperate. Early will I seek you. No, no. He's not seeking forgiveness. He's not seeking victory for anything else. He's seeking you. He's seeking God. That's what we got to do in the darkest times is we got to seek God. Not seek our healing. Not seek our anything else. See, healing comes, all those things come with it. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. If you've got a dry and thirsty land, what do you need? You need water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you and I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow of fatness. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He found out praising God, seeking him early, getting his focus on him was the answer to a fatness of soul. To answer in that cry of his heart that he thirsty. Turn over to Psalm 83. 83 or is it 84? I'll know when I get there. God is good. Amen? Yes, it's Psalm 84. It's another cry of desperation. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. That's where God lives. Do you seek God's? The Bible says seek first the kingdom. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Yes, even faints. Here's a desperate person. Says, my soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions. My soul longs and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. My heart is set on a pilgrimage into the sanctuary, into the courts of the Lord. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go down from strength to strength. Each one appears before God as I. You know what that word Baca, the valley of Baca means? It means the valley of tears. But God is saying there, even when you're in tears, when else fails, Know this, that when you're focusing on God, God will turn those tears and make puddles in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The water of life freely will eventually fall. See, God even uses your tears. He uses your griefs, your shortcomings. When you focus on him, he'll turn that valley of tears into a valley of prosperity. Look, verse 10 says, For a day in your courts 
is better than a thousand. He would rather be, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I was, I, was, I was meditating that last week. This is my vision. I told Dot the other day, I'm just going to, I always hesitate on sharing visions. I've been to heaven. I've seen heaven. And I'm not hesitating to tell people that anymore. The other day I was, I was in the presence of God. I'm soaking in his presence and I'm meditating that scripture. What does it say again? This is how we can be. It said, my soul longs. I said, yes, Lord, my soul longs and even faints for the courts of the Lord. Then I stopped and I thought, God, I'm not even sure what the courts of the Lord are. I've heard some teaching on it. So I said, Lord, I want to go to the courts of the Lord. My soul is long, and it did. When I meditated on that, I was digging wells of revelation. Revelation wants to reveal to me what the word is that I'm meditating on. That's what it is. So I'm meditating on that. I say, Lord, my soul, yes, cries, even faints for the courts of the Lord. I said, let me come to the courts of the Lord. And I am not lying to you. One bit. You know me, I wouldn't lie. Instantaneously, I entered through the porthole of Revelations chapter 4, where it says there's a hole above John, and he entered in through that, through that gate into heaven. Instantly, I was sucked up through that portal, and I was standing outside of a building that fast. I knew it was in heaven. And I looked up, and there is this great, humongous courthouse. And was had to climb several stairs. I don't know how many stairs. I was only there for a second, but I, enough to observe everything. That's the way it is in heaven. You observe a lot of things, and it stays with you. And there's pillars, probably 12 pillars. I didn't count them. I'm just guessing from what I know from Scripture. There's all these pillars at the tops of these stairs. And I, as I entered... All of a sudden, I was in the center of this courthouse. And I'm standing in this courthouse, Peter. And it's like a huge, huge library. And I looked up, and there's walls upon walls of books, all about this size, like this, and about this thick. All these books. And this, 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 Guy who I realized was an angel, but he was dressed like an old-fashioned scribe. This funny outfit, I can't really describe it. I just knew this was a scribe, and he had a, fe- a, a, a pen with a big feather. I don't know if it was a feather pen, but I noticed a feather on the end of it. And he opened this, and he didn't say nothing, but I knew he wanted me to ask what was in there. I just knew it. You just kind of think like that, eh? I said, what, 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 what's in this book? He says, oh, the same as all the books. I said, what is it? You know what he told me? He said, this is all the unanswered prayers. Every unanswered prayer that's in heaven is scribed in this book. And I didn't know if that was my book. He didn't, it it wasn't, the, wasn't the focus there. But he said, all these, I said, why does God have all these unanswered prayers? He said, oh, don't get me wrong. God answered every one of these prayers. These are just the unanswered prayers because people haven't received them. 
You see, they were answered in God's Son and the Holy Spirit was there to activate them, but people haven't received them. And I just knew when I said that that they hadn't received them because they hadn't focused on God, what he has already done, what he's already accomplished. That was That vision was, I dare say it was more real than you sitting in front of me this morning. When I think back on it, it's only about three days ago. When I think back on it, when I think about it, and I get in, it's even more clear when I think back. I can't because I rehearse it in my mind and think about it. Wow. See, we got to focus. Now you might sit there and think, well, I don't really care what you think, be honest with you. I got over that because I'm not focused on you. I'm not focused on, on how stupid it looks or what, what people think. I'm focused on what God says and what God does. And my soul longs and even faints for the courts of the Lord. See, in other words, what he's saying, the courts of the Lord is a judiciary place where God has approved what's done. But what a shame when all those unanswered prayers are, amen? See, when we realize that and we, when, we, when we get in the presence of God, he begins to open up See, that well, we dug down in there. There's all kinds of things in my well. Somebody told me yesterday, a girl in the hospital, she said, Jim, I had this dream. What's this dream? She says, I dreamt that all this, this water poured out of me and it was full of fish. I said, well, fish always represent, fish always represent souls, stuff like that. And inside of you are souls. I had another dream, another vision. I'm going to tell you about that vision. Back in 19, 1980, I got born again in 1979. And I discovered right away, as soon as I got saved, that there was something about getting alone with God. I never heard anything about soaking. I never heard about anything about the presence of God in those days. I just had a desire to be in the presence of God. And I was on my face in my house on, on 50, 56 Morale Street in Branford. I think it was 56. But I was there, my, my wife was out, and she'd taken the kids out somewhere, and I was down, I was only new in the Lord. And I was laying on my face in front of the Lord and saying, oh God, I want to see you, I want more of you. And all of a sudden I had this vision. I had this vision of, 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 of water, and I had a vision of all these horrifying voices down inside this, this pit. And this pit was, had water in it. And it was getting fuller. And as, as it got fuller, what happened is the people were being washed out of this pit. And the first one that came out of that pit, I saw his face as clear as anything. Years later, I started, I, I pioneered a church in the Arctic. And I realized one day a guy walked in the church and I recognized him. And that's the first face I saw come out of that pit. He ended up, I didn't orchestrate it that way, but he ended up becoming the pastor of that church. He was the first one I saw coming out of that pit. And, I, and him and I got together and then we would pray. We're over this pit. And as we prayed, the water got fuller and fuller and fuller. And as it did, people were coming out of that pit. And that was, that was the vision. 
So I've talked about intercession. I use that several times, talking about intercession, how God will do that. Marnie and I, when we, years later, we moved up to the Arctic. And one day in the springtime when it was thawing, around June, <laughs> July, that's what it thaws, one, it, was, it was thawing, and Marnie and I were walking home from the store one day, and all of a sudden over here, didn't see it, because it hadn't thawed before, was this great big pit. And I looked at that pit and I said, Marnie, remember my vision? That's the pit I saw. And as we looked at it, all this water was flowing down the hill. And it was pouring into that pit. This is a, natu- a real pit. So that's exactly what it looked like in my vision. As we walked up the hill to our house, we lived in the church way in the top of the hill. And we're the only building up there because uh, they built the church then all the communities being built around it was the highest place. As we went up there, all this water was flowing down there. It was the highest place. And they dug foundations around there. And all these were overflowing and flowing down the hill and into this pit. And it was coming out from around the church. And God said to me right away, Ezekiel chapter 47, where the water came out of the east end of the church, flowed down. And it said, and people got in the water, some up to the ankles, some up to the knees, some up to their waist, and some so much that they couldn't, they, they, could, they had to swim. And I thought, oh, praise God, the church is praying, and all this water is flowing down and into this pit. I preached that for years. But just a few weeks ago, I was, I was in the presence of God, focused on Jesus, and all of a sudden I had that vision again. Same vision. When God said, you've, you got, there's more of a revelation to that than you've, than you've been preaching. See, we grow from glory to glory. We get deeper understanding as we grow. Because I've been praying, be honest with you, I was telling Julie the other day, I've been praying like Daniel. The Bible says that Daniel had visions and understanding and wisdom and revelation for all dreams and visions. And I read that and I said, well, if, 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 if Daniel's got that, I'm under a better covenant. Why can't I have that? So I've been saying, Lord, I'm, I interpret all visions and dreams. And I've, I've always been, God's always used me in that way, but sometimes I had to sit on it and think about it. But God's telling me now, no, you just go ahead and, and, and interpret it when you do. So I've been saying that. Lord, I thank you for, for understanding all visions and dreams. That's found in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17 or something, something like that. So I've been praying and believing for that. So he gave me a vision of that again. And he said, Jim, you've been talking about this pit where people were stuck in like it was a bad place. He says, you know what that pit is? I said, no, what is it? It's me. That pit's you. See, all those people that were in that pit and they were coming out by the water, that water wasn't the prayers of the saints as much as it was the revelation of God, as you grew in, in revelation, it, 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 yes, it's, the saints are praying for you, the church, but it's my sanctuary. By you seeking my sanctuary. See, that's what I, he showed me in that church, that that was the, the courts of the Lord. That was the places, the high places where the revelation was flowing. And the revelation filled my heart. And when it filled my heart, what happens on the abundance of my heart, my mouth was filled and it began to pour out of me. And there was, there was this pastor in there. God had put him in there as part of the, 
part of my call, part of my vision. And other people flowing out of there. This lady had this vision of water coming out of her and there's fish coming out. That's the things. There's hidden things in you. There may be treasures in, hidden in you that are going to come out when you start, start getting the presence of God and he begins to fill those cisterns. He begins to fill those wells. When you begin to dig ditches so that he could fill that up and the more you dig ditches, the more he can give you revelation. He, the more that flood will go and the Bible says that the abundance of our heart, our mouth will speak. We begin speaking revelation because we've been in the presence of God. Jesus spoke rhema to Peter. It wasn't about Peter. It was about Jesus because he'd been in the presence of God. And he had now had revelation and what he spoke became life. It gave enough life to Peter for him to come on the water. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was walking on the water? And that's what God wants to come out of us. He says, the wilderness and the wastelands are destroyed, but if you'll dig ditches, he'll fill it with water. And the, the answer comes on the water. Hallelujah. Noah, I was meditating that the other day. We think Noah, Noah, Noah water was a rescue. It was Noah and his family's rescue. The rest of the world, it wasn't. It was something that destroyed them all. Some, some people's curses is our blessing. But the water... What did it say? Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 7 says when Noah's flood happened, first of all, the earth beneath burst open and the waters came up. And when the waters came up, the heavens opened up. When you get in the presence of God, Noah was a righteous man. He knew he was righteous. When you begin to understand that you're righteous because you can go in the presence of God, not just because somebody preached it to you, but you've been in the presence of God and he's accepting you, he's loving you. What happens? The burst, the dams underneath burst, just like the floods of Noah. And then so when the heavens open up, when you've dug ditches, now you're saturated with water. So everywhere you go, what happens? The water of life flows freely through you. People say, God, my God, man, lay your hands on me. I've had people say that to me. Lay your hands on me. I need, I need healing. I need more of what you got. I've had them say that. I've gone to funerals in the past with family members. And they say, Jim, whatever it is you got. They used to say that to Marnie and I both. Lay hands on me. I need what you guys got. What did they see? They saw the waters of life flowing freely. See, that's what happened when Jesus came. It's not about Peter. It's not about them. It's about Christ in you, the hope of glory, to touch them, to mobilize them. And it's in you. We've got that inside of us. That's who we are. Amen? Praise God for that. Isaiah 43. Dot. I say that because that's where Dot was... Uh, Started to stomp on my grounds. Isaiah chapter 43. Now, but I says to the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel. God showed me years ago when he's talking to Jacob and Israel. He says, that Jacob, you, uh, uh, you disappoint me because, uh, Jacob, you've grown stale in me. And Israel, you, don't, you haven't grown any. And I thought, well, isn't Jacob and April, Israel the same person? Jacob's just one. Israel's the, the multitude of people. He says, yeah, but it starts with, started with Jacob. See, revival starts with you. People say to me all the time, oh, we need to pray for revival in the church. I said to them, no, you don't need to pray for revival in the church. You need to pray for revival for you because revival can't help in the church until it happens to you. I've watched people for years. There's revival happening here and they're sitting there and they don't even know anything about it because they're not in revival. 
You can have all the revival. I watched, I've lived through some of the greatest revival. I lived in Branford years ago when we lived in a revival of the word of God, the word of faith. Man, it was so powerful, but a lot of people missed it. Years later, I traveled in Toronto, I've traveled around the world. I've been in some great revivals. I lived out west for years in tremendous revivals, but people sat right beside me, didn't even know it, care about it or anything else because they're focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on what, what's going on rather than Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Don't shut me down now because I'm preaching good, okay? It says, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Jesus, God delivered the children of Israel through the waters. Your deliverance comes through the water. Jesus walks on the water to you, and you become the solution to walk to Peter. Amen? Now look what it says here in about 13 or 15. I am the Lord, the Holy One, the creator of Israel, the King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariots and the horses, the army, the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. Now let's look down to uh, verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. That's where Dot left off. I will do a new thing. What's the new thing? It was prophesied years and years and years ago that the end times would be a great saints movement. That's a new thing. It's not about what Jesus can do for us. It's what we can do for a lost and dying world. You understand that? And it's, our folk, it's all about our focus. We're part, I often say this. I've said this by prophetically for years. It goes over most of our heads. But we've become part of the solution, no longer part of the problem. Amen? I'm not saying if you've got problems that you're part of the problem. I'm saying when you get the solution, your problems fall aside. Now it shall spring. Behold, I do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. When you dig, when you dig, when you clean out those old wells, it'll spring forth, and shall you know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will make a road. In the, you say I'm in a wilderness. I'm going through a rough time. Don't try to get out of the rough time. Seek the face of God. Seek his face. Seek who he is. And that'll do it for you. Matthew, uh, Isaiah 44. Whew. What verse am I looking for here? I think verse 3, yeah. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. That's God's promise. Are you thirsty? Rejoice. He's going to pour water out when you seek his face. Hallelujah. One of my favorite scriptures, I always preach this when I take people on mission trips. I was on a mission trip and I took a bunch of people to Guatemala one time bunch of students from the school and everybody said all these people are so happy I want to come and live here I said no I lived here and they weren't so happy and they said well why are they so happy now I said you know why they're happy now because you're here and this is what it says in Isaiah 34 it says the wilderness Isaiah 35 I mean verse 1 the wilderness and the wastelands 
shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with the joy of singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord. The excellence. How are they going to see the glory of the Lord? You ever wonder about that? How's the world going to see the glory? How the, how's the great revival going to take place in the earth? How is it people are going to be healed all over and there's going to be a revival? Where's it coming from? Is it pouring out of heaven? Remember I said in Genesis chapter 7, I was going to say, but I forgot, said it came from up before it rained down. When the water comes up, God pours the ladder rain down. Remember what it says over, I've been preaching this for 40 years. Most people don't get it. It says in Malachi chapter 3, it says, talking about tithes and offerings, it says, bring all your tithes in the storehouse and I will prove to you and I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that cannot, you cannot even understand. And I, I've always said this, God's not opening a window up in heaven and water flowing out of the window of heaven. The kingdom of God's within us. When we pay tithes because we worship God, you're not going to get blessings just because you pay your tithes because the church says to or somebody else says to, but you're given to God, the high priest. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, when we bring our tithes forward, that we're supposed to realize that we're giving it to the high priest that shall be in those days. And that high priest's name is Jesus. When I give my tithes, even at the kiosk, I picture I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm not giving it to Koinonia. Koinonia gets it. But I'm giving it to Jesus. See, it's, Jesus got to be the focus. And then what happens when I pay my tithes and that, when I'm obedient to God and I'm focused on God, what happens? The windows of heaven are opened up and the blessings, I get revelation. Water comes from me. And all the things are in me by Kotaiko Laita, the pastor of the Iqaluit Church, was in my heart and that came up. I didn't even know it was in there. There's, there's all kinds of things buried down in your treasure that, that can't come out of there that you're pregnant with that you're never going to give birth to until that water begins to flow from your mouth in the words you pray, in the revelation you get from God, in the rhema you get. Peter, come on the water. And the rhema you get for different things in your life, that's all down, it's buried down the depths of your heart and that comes forth as he opens up the windows of heaven and pours out the blessings. Revelations chapter, chapter uh, 21 and chapter 22 says, I saw a river, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And that same one in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 47, I saw that the river coming from the church got deeper and deeper and deeper. Why did it get deeper? Because it started out with me and, and Peter and Julie. When all of us get in this relationship with God, in this relationship, what happens? There's more and more water and the rivers get deeper, flooding. And any, anywhere that any, it causes growth to grow on either side of the river because it's expanding, it's expanding, and it's expanding. And when it does, what happens? The trees of righteousness are growing and the roots are digging deep into that water. And what happens? The leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations. That river that comes clear as grass, clear as glass from the throne of God, the throne's in me. The God's on the throne of my heart. 
Is he on the throne of your heart this morning? You say, well, I'm a Christian, but is Jesus your Lord? Is he your focus? Or is, is, are other things your focus? Are you focusing for things? Or are you focusing for Jesus? Then Jesus is on the throne and you become part of the solution. That crystal clear water, pure water that motivate, that's motivated by you're focusing on Jesus. See, it's not, it's not what you do in your life, it's who you're focused on. When you're focused on Jesus, those things that you're doing that aren't real good, they, they go because the water becomes crystal clear now. And you get revelation. You, when you pray, you're speaking, even in tongues, I'm speaking, I know I'm speaking revelation to God. I'm speaking revelation. Sometimes people say, do, do you interpret tongues? I say all the time. I do it when I want. Lord, give me the interpretation of that. I do that all the time. And what happens, because of the presence of God, I can begin to speak. And we were talking about that the other day, you and I. We begin to speak. And know that I'm your God. Know that I'm in you now. That I want to come out of you to touch a lost and dying world. That's what I just said in that short little tongue I said there. That was the interpretation of it. God see, see God speaking words of revelation all the time. Whenever we're saying that, his name is great and greatly to be praised. That's what I just said. How do I know that? Because it comes out of the abundance of the heart, of the rivers of living water. And when we release those words, when, when, when Isaiah, that prophet, or Elisha, the prophet, released those words to go dig ditches, and the people obeyed that, See, faith, you read that scripture this morning, Dot. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? Amen. You're sent. I've given you some words of life today. You're, you're sent. And your life is going to create. See, see witnessing, this is, this is evangelism. See, I'm, 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 I know I'm called as an evangelist. And some people say, no, nah, I don't see that. I don't see you winning souls by the multitudes. Well, I have done that, but that's not what an evangelist is. Mark, Mark Davy comes in here as an evangelist, but he doesn't come in here as an evangelist. He comes in here doing the work of an evangelist. Understand what I'm saying? I'm evangelizing now. I'm a, I'm, 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 this is evangelism 101. I'm stirring up the waters. Now you go and do this as a result of those waters stirred up, and you're doing the works of an evangelist. Mark Davy's an evangelist, all right. But when he comes here and preaches, we think that's what an evangelist does. He could just win the souls. No, that's the work of an evangelist. See what I'm saying? Because evangelist, what he does is stir up. And God's calling, I believe in the last days, God's calling evangelists. And I think part of your drawing to healing school, you feel a drawing to come to healing school. I think part of that is the evangelist that's in you. I'm not saying you're all called first string evangelist, but I think this is a dry God's using evangelist. And sometimes we gotta we gotta work to, to ooh look at that, that's eleven thirty two. Anybody believe that? You understand what I'm saying? God wants to fill you. He wants you to be part of that evangelism started in time revival. See people heal. Anybody here?